All right, well, good morning, TBA. How are y'all this morning? Awesome, that's really, that's really, really good. Well, so much better than the 9 o'clock service. All right, so let me ask you a question. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I think when I was a kid, I gave most of the answers that most kids probably give. You know, I wanted to be a fireman or a police officer or a doctor. I even think I said I wanted to be the $6 million man at one time. Does anybody remember that show? Good, I'm glad I'm not the only one. That would make me feel really old. But we have these great plans for our lives as kids. But how many of you are actually what you said you were going to be when you were a kid? See, probably not very many of us. Some of us might, but not very many of us. Even as adults, we make plans for our lives, and things don't always go out, go the way that we plan them. See, I started my college career majoring in chemical engineering, but then I found out that engineering is really hard. And so I ended up with a chemistry degree, which is cool because I really love science and I love chemistry. Most things that people find boring about the chemical makeup of the world, I think, are really interesting. Take, for example, polar and nonpolar covalent bonds. There's so many things about them that I think are really cool because it helps explain the way things are in the world. Did you know that if you eat a hot pepper, the worst thing that you could do after eating a hot pepper is to drink water afterwards? Do you know why that is? Nonpolar covalent bonds. That's why. See, hot peppers have this chemical in them, this molecule called capsaicin. And when a food that has capsaicin hits your tongue, these, these pain receptors in your mouth binds with that capsaicin molecule, sending a message to your brain that you just ate something you probably shouldn't have eaten. And the more, that, more capsaicin that's in that pepper, the more intense the reaction will be in your mouth and your nose starts to run and your eyes water and you start to sweat. Now the reason water is a bad idea is because capsaicin as a molecule is a nonpolar molecule. And it can only dissolve with other nonpolar substances. Water happens to be a polar molecule, which means not only will, even if you put ice in your mouth, not only will it not cool the hotness, it actually spreads the capsaicin around your mouth, making it even hotter. Now, so you have to drink something that is nonpolar. Milk and other, non-dairy, and other dairy products are nonpolar, and they help dissolve the capsaicin molecule in your mouth. So the next time you eat something spicy, don't drink water, drink milk. Okay. I nerded out for a little bit. I got off topic. The point I'm trying to make is that, yes, I love chemistry. Yes, I have a chemistry degree, but here I am as a pastor. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, I believe it happens because... Even though that we have plans for our lives, God, God often has plans that are different than our plans. And sometimes that plan can radically change the direction of your life. See, 13 years ago, I was working at my dream job. It was the perfect job for me. It was a perfect fit. I was hired to build this company from the ground up and basically put my DNA in it. And I was making a really great salary. And Ashley and I had this really amazing home on this golf course community in South Carolina. And from all perspectives, life was really, really good. It was really good for us. And then God began to call me into full-time ministry. And at first, I tried to resist. 
I had all the good excuses. Hey, I don't have biblical training. I've got a chemistry degree, not a Bible degree. How in the world can I be a pastor? Who would want me as a pastor? Who am I to be in full-time ministry? Our life's good right now. God, I really don't want to ruin that. I don't want to mess that up. Why are you asking me to do this? Why don't you ask somebody else to do this? But even with the excuses, God kept calling me. And he started to change my perspective to the point where I started to realize I was chasing after empty things, that I wasn't fulfilled in my job, my salary, or even my house. And pretty soon, the burden that God put on me became so heavy, it became so heavy that I didn't have any more excuses. And I had to say, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. As long as it's not go to Africa, I will do whatever you want me to do. No, I was ready to go to Africa. Whatever God wanted me to do, I was going to do. And I said yes. And my life rapidly changed from that point on. And it's never been the same. It just hasn't. And I can honestly tell you that I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. And I believe that each of us has a calling. Each of us has been called by God to, to, to fulfill His plan for His kingdom. Now, not everybody's called to full-time ministry like I was, but nevertheless, God has a calling on your life. At a minimum, we've all been called to share the gospel of Jesus to the world around us. I mean, Jesus made that very clear when He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was a commandment for all of us, not just apostles, not just pastors, but for each one of us. And Paul also made it clear that we're called to serve in some capacity. He goes into great detail in his letter to the the church in Corinth about the role each of us has to play as the body of Christ. And so we've all been called. Some of us have been called to teach. Some of us have been called to children's ministry. Some of us have been called to leadership. Some called to discipleship. Some called to serving others. Some called to generosity. Yes, that can be a calling. Did you realize that God has gifted people certain people to make a lot of money and their call is to be generous with their money and fund ministries. God's given that calling. Each of us have a calling. But I think for some of us, there are two things that cause us not to, feel, not to completely fulfill the calling that God has for us. One is that we haven't taken the, the time to discover what our calling is. See, people spend their entire lives wandering through the day-to-day routines of life. And you know what happens when you get in a routine? We become comfortable we become complacent and then we become overly concerned about ourselves and our lives and pretty soon there isn't any room for what God has for us and then we stop seeking his will for our lives and so we're kind of deaf to the plan that God has for us the second reason we don't completely fulfill our calling is the one I really want to talk about today and I think it's because we would rather make excuses than face responsibility and before you think I'm going to be stepping on your toes today I want you to know this. Man, I struggle with this as much as you do. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I don't make excuses for what God asks of me. I do. I do it all the time. In fact, I probably do it more often than you do because it's easy to make excuses. Making an excuse doesn't take much effort. It's easy for me to decide that I'd rather not do that thing. See, the word excuse means to be released from an obligation or duty. And I'm willing to bet that when you were a child, you made excuses. You found ways to be released from something. You found a way not to do the dishes, or you made an excuse as to why your homework wasn't done, or why you failed the test. 
And if you're a parent, you know nothing's changed. We know all about excuses as a parent because we hear them from our children all the time. And what's happened is the excuses that we made as children stayed with us as we became adults. Now, excuses may contain an element of truth, but the nature of an excuse is to avoid responsibility. As children and adults, the common thread is avoiding responsibility. But what happens? What happens when God doesn't give you a pass on that responsibility? Or what happens when you run out of excuses? Even though some of us have a pocket full of excuses and never run out, that's a different sermon. But what happens if you don't get a pass on that responsibility? We're going to look at that today. Today we're going to look at the call that God puts on Moses' life and the excuses that Moses uses to avoid the responsibility God wants him to carry. Now we know Moses was this great liberator of the Israelites. Moses, the man who led God's people out of slavery. Moses, who parted the Red Sea, right? Moses, who delivered the Ten Commandments to God's people. Moses, the guy who's credited for writing the first five books of the Bible, The list of Moses' accomplishments, and yes, his failures are in the Old Testament, but before Moses could lead the Israelites out of slavery, before he could part the Red Sea, before he spent time recording the Ten Commandments, Moses gave excuse after excuse after excuse as to why he could not fulfill his calling. Now the story actually starts in chapter 3 of Exodus. In fact, you have to read chapter 3 and 4 together to understand the situation that Moses finds himself in. But even prior to that, remember Moses was one of Pharaoh's daughter's adopted sons. He grew up in an environment of wealth and power. And this is only because Moses' life was spared by his birth mother when she put him in the basket and sent him down the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter took him out of the Nile and brought, her into, brought him into her home and made him her child. And Moses grows up into this strong man and he has some authority in Egypt. But one day, Moses tries to play hero, and he kills an Egyptian man, thinking that he was helping his own people. And instead of taking responsibility for what he did, Moses flees. He gets out of town, because he fears for his life. He fears that he's going to be found out. He has an excuse to leave town, and he didn't hang around to take the responsibility for what he had done. And when we catch up with Moses, we see that he's now shepherding sheep with his father-in-law, Jethro, Moses had left Egypt 40 years earlier and was living happily in Midian with his wife, Zipporah, and his sons. And see, that was Moses' plan. He was like, I'm just going to live the rest of my life shepherding sheep in this quiet little town of Midian. But God had a different plan for Moses. Because one day while tending sheep, Moses found him on the backside of the mountain of God, and the Bible said the angel of the Lord appeared to him from a bush that was burning but not consumed. So Moses sees this bush burning on fire, but it's not actually burning up. It's an unusual sight that he's never seen before. And so he goes to check it out. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Now I want you to notice what it says. God called him. God has it as, had his attention, and he called Moses. See, I think God can set up a situation for the soul purpose of drawing you close. Now, it may not be as dramatic as a burning bush, but I believe God is always trying to get our attention. And once you're close enough and your attention is drawn into him, I believe that God speaks to us. I believe he speaks to you, and I believe he will give you a call and direct your life. The question is, will we be obedient to that call, or will we make excuses? 
See, God's call for Moses was to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. He said, now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses' response is, yes, Lord, man, I'm ready to go. Let's go. That's not his response. His response is a number of excuses that he gives God. The first one being the excuse of inability. Moses protests to God. He says, who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? See, Moses' first concern that he's, is, is that he's a nobody. And therefore, he's not qualified to go to Pharaoh and demand the release of the Lord's people. And how many of us feel that way? How many of us feel the exact same way? See, we play this comparison game, which you're going to lose at every time, by the way, if you play the comparison game. But we play the comparison game, and we feel like, man, I'm just not as qualified as that other person. I don't have what they have. Or we think that we just don't have the ability to get the job done properly. And see, it's a great tactic from the enemy, because it's what he does. He lies to us. He tells us we're not good enough, that we can't do it. But see, the problem is, is we've forgotten a very important truth. And it's that God chose us. To say that we're not able to do the job says that God doesn't know what he's doing. After all, who knows best, you or God? I want you to imagine for a moment that you're God. And you're the creator of the universe and you have all the power in your hand. And your people are being held as slaves and it's time for you to come and deliver them. Who do you choose to do this? Perhaps you choose a great military leader or a skilled politician. Maybe you would even send a great orator, a man who can give heart-stirring speeches that capture and grip the hearts of men. If you had the whole population of the world at your disposal, would you have chosen Moses? Probably not. I mean, after all, he's 80 years old at the time. He's a fugitive from justice. He's wanted for murder in Egypt, the very place you want to send him to. Yeah, he was educated, but that was 40 years ago. He's been with sheep for 40 years. Yeah, he had political connections, but people probably don't remember him anymore. But when it came time for God to send a deliverer to Israel, this is exactly the person that he chooses for the job. See, to us as humans, it doesn't make much sense, but to God, it was all part of his plan. And so God responds to Moses' excuse of inability with a promise. God says, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. He tells Moses, I will be with you. This is the promise of his presence. God would give Moses whatever inner strength was needed, whatever ability was needed. God would give him the confidence, the assurance, and the faith necessary to do the task. God would lead him guide him and work everything out for him. You see, God is always with us. He never abandons us. He never leaves us to do things in our own power. If God has called us, he has done so with full knowledge of our weaknesses and inabilities. And he knows that we can accomplish the task through his power. God's constant promise of, I will be there, has been all throughout Scripture. With Isaac, he said, I will keep you and be with you wherever you go. With Joshua, he says, I will be with you and never leave you or forsake you. With Jeremiah, he says, don't be afraid, for I am with you to deliver you. And that promise still holds true for us today. 
When we talked about the Great Commission, about going to all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And right after that, Jesus says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, God is always with us, always with us. So if your excuse is one of inability, then you have to know that that is a lie from the enemy. Because in and of yourself, you are incapable of anything godly and good. But through the power of God, you can do anything. You can do anything. Moses' second excuse is the excuse of inadequacy. After telling God of his inabilities, Moses moves on to his inadequacies. And Moses says, But if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them then? See, in this verse, Moses is saying to God, Man, God, I just don't know enough about you. I don't know enough about who you are. I don't have enough knowledge or training to do this. I'm afraid they might ask me questions and I don't have the answers. So I don't have any credibility. So who am I to talk to them about you? Man, isn't that not the excuse that we give all the time about sharing the gospel of Christ with others? Who am I to tell them about you? Not only do we feel incapable of serving the Lord, but we feel inadequate that somehow we don't have enough knowledge about God or know enough about God or know enough about God's word. And honestly, we're, we're afraid we're going to be asked questions and not know what to say. So our excuse is, well, I need to be discipled more or I need to be trained more or I need to study the Bible more before I can share God with others. But God's response to Moses is to remind him that he is the I am. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now while Moses may be inadequate, the God that calls him and equips him certainly is not. And God in essence is saying to Moses, just do what I say and I will show you who I am. And Moses goes, but who am I to do this impossible task? And God goes, the issue isn't who you are, but who I am. See, it isn't about the talents that we have, the knowledge that we have, or the education that we have. It's about trusting the Lord in faith and going when he calls us to go, knowing that he's the one who's working through us. See, there's not a situation that you will ever find yourself in that God doesn't hold the solution to. He is able and he enables us as we go through life. Look at Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. See, we should never allow a lack of education, a lack of knowledge, a lack of money, a lack of skill, or anything else to stop us from being everything that God wants us to be. Even if you can't see it within yourself, you can't see the talent or education that you think you need, just be faithful to obey God. Remember, he is the one who called you. He's the one who placed this task before you. And besides, if you feel inadequate, man, you're in really good company. Because I'm sure Noah probably didn't feel very adequate about building an ark. And David probably felt really small next to Goliath. 
And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego probably felt really inadequate against that furnace. And Daniel probably didn't feel very adequate in that lion's den. See, all throughout the Bible, God's people have been placed alongside obstacles against which they look and felt inadequate, but with the power of God working through them, they were able to overcome. And if God will do it for them, he will do it for you. And the last excuse that Moses gives that we're going to look at today is the excuse of infirmity. And Moses pleads with the Lord. He says, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never, I've never been good. I, I'm not even now, even though you've spoken to me. I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. And in a, a last-ditch effort to escape the plan that God has for him, Moses appeals to some sort of speech impediment that he has. Now, it may be that Moses was just slow of thought, and therefore he responded slow, or maybe he stuttered. We don't know what his infirmity was. But whatever it was, he tries to use it as an excuse for not doing the will of God. And I love how God responds to him. God says, well, Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or don't speak, hear or don't hear, see or don't see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now you go, and I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. God's response to Moses is, Moses, I made you. I made you the way that you are. I didn't make a mistake in making you. I didn't make a mistake in calling you with your speech problem. I'm able to give you everything that you need to accomplish this task. Now go and do it. But Moses has given every excuse as to why he isn't the guy for the job. And sadly, we do the same thing. And I know I'm often guilty of giving God excuses. I do. I give them all the time. I tell God, man, I'm too busy. I got too much going on. I can't do that right now. God, somebody else is better qualified than me, surely. Somebody else is better at it than me. I do that all the time with the other two pastors. I mean, those other two guys are better at it than me. They need to do it. The one I use the most is, and I really don't feel comfortable doing that. I don't want to step outside of my comfort zone. I don't have the resources. I don't have enough knowledge. Whatever the excuses are, lack of education, physical handicap, age, income, you name it, whatever they are, they're not legitimate. They're not legitimate excuses for not serving the Lord. There are no excuses. We have no excuses. And if we're really being honest about it, and if I'm really being honest about it, if we get past all the excuses, it really comes down to the fact that I, I just don't want to do it sometimes. That's Moses. Moses pleads with the Lord, please send anyone else. Am I going the wrong way? There we go. Lord, please send anyone else. Moses rejected God's call. He had run out of excuses. So now he has to admit the truth. He just didn't want to go. And so he begs God to send somebody else, anybody else. He didn't want to go. He wanted to live life the way he wanted to. He wanted to do his own thing. And, and we're exactly the same way. I'm exactly the same way. I want to be the one who decides what I do and when I do it. I want to be the one that decides when I step out of my comfort zone. I want to be the one that determines my schedule. And man, we work hard to protect that, don't we? We work hard to protect what we want and how we want it. 
But God's plans are so much better than our plans. And I think when we make excuses and refuse to answer the call that God has for us, then we miss out on the biggest blessing God can give us. I mean, think about how Moses would have missed out on all that God had for him if he continued to say no. Even more important, think about all the lives that would have been lost if Moses had continued to say no. See, if we say no, we're missing out on the best plan God has for our lives, and we're missing out on the impact that we can have on the lives of others, which may even be more important. So you may not think that you're anyone special, especially to the level of leading a nation out of slavery like Moses did, but who's to say? I mean, our job isn't to determine the scale of our impact. Our job is just to be obedient to what God calls us to do. So as the band comes up, I want to leave you with this. And it's really, really important. We are living in the midst of a world that is going to hell. I don't know if that ever weighs on you or not. But people are perishing daily, and they desperately need to be reached with the message of Jesus Christ. And who does God choose to do that? Who does God choose to do that? Unqualified, untrained, inadequate, broken down, sinful people like you and me. See, when God chose to reach this world for himself, he looked around and decided that saved sinners like you and me make the best candidates for his work. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are God's masterpiece and he has created us anew in Jesus Christ so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He has saved each and every one of us to be workers for his glory. My prayer for you, TBA, is that you will no longer hide behind the excuses the way Moses did, but instead that you will embrace the calling that God has on your life. You may think you have nothing to offer, nothing to contribute, nothing of significance, but you're wrong because that's not true. You're the most precious thing on this earth because you were bought with an incalculable price when Jesus died to save you. See, your life isn't really yours anyways. It's his. And when you look at it from that perspective, there really are no excuses for not living our lives fully for him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and God, I thank you for the story of Moses and God, how it teaches us that even though we are inadequate, Lord, even though we don't have all the talent or skills or resources necessary to accomplish your will, that, Lord God, we don't need that. All we need is you. And all we need to do is trust in you and be faithful to you, Lord. So, Father, help us to fulfill what you're calling us to do individually as families, as this church, Lord. Help us to be obedient and not have excuses. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.